So, so usually, I had started saying, started something a couple months ago that, that I would, I promised Matt I would preach every two months, which was something I, I regret, but um, <laughs> I'm here, so I'm going to do it. But that, that we would start doing a financial update to the church, let you guys know what's going on with our finances, uh, so we're accountable to you, you who are giving. Um, and so I wanted to do that and then would begin to preach on a, a topic of financial, on, on our finances and how God, we can be good stewards of our finances. So I'm, I'm going to deliver on part of that promise by giving a financial update, but I'm going to change the focus of the message a little bit. So um, I gave a pretty detailed report of our finances last time and, and, and thought that probably I did too much. And Joe, I'm not going to focus on numbers so much on the bottom line as, as just focusing on the important essence of it, that, um, you know, God has enabled us to pay our bills as they come due. And that's just, you know, part of a good financial health at that point. When Heather and I were starting out and we had more month left at the end than we had paycheck, um, sometimes we'd get nervous about it and we would just say, hey, are our bills paid today? Yes. Do we have food on the table? Yes. Do we have a place to sleep tonight? Yes. Then we're good until tomorrow, right? And so sometimes in, as a church functions, if we're paying our bills as they come due, then hey, God's providing for us and, and that's great. Um, beyond that, we also, since we talked last time, is we've raised over $6,000 for refugees from the Ukrainian-Russian war. And part of that's gone to refugees in Ukraine, part of that's gone to refugees with missionaries we know in Romania. Uh, it also has gone to refugees that have relocated here in Grandview that uh, Matt has been helping them do some shopping and get set up in new homes since they had to leave basically with the clothes on their body and, and come here uh, to get out of the war. So we're, we're grateful that uh, God has been faithful in providing for us as a church we are thankful for your support as people who uh, give to the church and help us in, in our mission. So if you are interested in more details, the numbers about the finances, you can see me later, and I'm happy to sit down and talk with you some more about that. Um, but I really felt like God wanted me to focus on talking about uh, building our faith and growing our faith uh, today. And Sometimes we think that faith, either you have faith or you don't have faith. And, and what we really read in the Bible is that Jesus said faith is like a mustard seed, meaning that, that you can plant a seed and it can begin to grow. Uh, Jude talked about in his letter that build yourselves up in the most holy faith. That that's, Faith is something that we can build, that we can grow, that it can expand. And so I want to talk with you today about how we do that. I want to look at four people that Jesus encountered that he was amazed at their faith, that they, were, they had great faith. And so we can learn from them about what they did to have great faith and apply some of those things in our lives, and we can see our faith grow and build um, as well. So the first person I want to talk about is um, a woman who had a medical condition of bleeding for 12 years that had been unable to, to cure. From Mark chapter 5, uh, 25 through 34. 
And I like this in, in the Passion Translation. It brings out some nuances uh, from, from the Greek text that I think is important. So Matthew 25, starting in verse 25. Now in the crowd that day was a woman who suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had endured a great deal of care of various doctors, yet in spite of spending all she had on their treatments, she was getting worse instead of better. When she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up behind him and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, if I could only touch even his clothes, I know I will be healed. And as soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it, for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. And Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt the power that always surged around him pass through him for someone to be healed. He turned and spoke to the crowd, saying, Who touched my clothes? Well, the disciples were confused. They answered, what do you mean, who touched you? Look at this crowd. They're all pressing up against you. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd, looking for the one who had touched him with faith for healing. When the woman who experienced the miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him, trembling with fear, and threw herself down at his feet, saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him her story of just what had happened. And then Jesus said to her, Daughter, because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. It's an amazing story to me. I mean, this woman had been suffering for 12 years. She had spent all that she had on trying to get a cure, going to a lot of different doctors, but nothing had worked. And yet, she still isn't giving up, right? She is persevering despite all of these setbacks and these failures. She's, she's lost all of her money, and things are worse rather than better. I think a lot of us, I know I would probably be discouraged at that point. I've been doing everything I can, but it's not working. And yet, this woman hears about Jesus, a healer, and begins to believe in her heart that, that she needs to try again. And begins to, to seek Jesus out. Now it's important that, that she is pushing through the crowd at this point. Because her, her medical condition would have made her an outcast in Jewish society. She would be unclean, defiled. And others would not associate with her. So she was both a social outcast in a religious outcast, and yet she was willing to face the crowds and their uh, negative views of her in order to find Jesus who could bring her healing. You know, one of the things we heard of that was notable about Jesus' ministries that you see in many of the Gospels is that Jesus healed every disease from the people that came to him. And so that was one thing, not just that he healed diseases, but that he healed every disease. And so part of this woman's faith is that she has heard these stories going on in the community. Jesus is a healer. 
He heals everything that happened of the people that come to him. And so these stories she's heard about others begins her imagination about herself. And she can uh, imagine that when she gets to see Jesus, she's going to be healed just as all these other people were healed. And so she keeps saying to herself, if only I can touch his clothes, I will be healed. If only I touch his shawl, prayer shawl, I will be healed. If I can get close enough to put my hand on Jesus, I will be healed. And she says that again and again to herself. And so she comes to Jesus, and when she finally does touch him, she receives her healing, the grace through Jesus. And, and I think it's interesting that, that there were so many people touching Jesus, and yet they didn't receive healing grace toward them. And this is the role of faith, that, that, that receiving the, the grace of God is always showering down on us, but whether we're ready to receive it is something very different. That we have to open our hearts, and faith is the mechanism by which we do that. Jesus recognizes her faith and says, because of your faith, you are healed. So there are a couple lessons I think we can learn from this woman. One, that she maintains hope despite the failures and setbacks in her life. Because of the story she has heard about Jesus as something new, uh, she is going to try again. And so faith allows us never to give up. Though she was an outcast from society because of her medical condition, she still pushed through the obstacles and the barriers to get to, to Jesus. She had heard the stories from others and knew that if she could get to Jesus, he had the cure for her. And she kept repeating to herself over and over, I know I will be healed. I know I will be healed. You know, there are many references in the scriptures that our words are important in, in shaping our mindset and in, in, in transforming our heart. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That woman knew the power of that verse. Or Jesus says in Matthew 15.37, By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So this woman built her faith by replaying the stories of Jesus healing others, imagining that Jesus would do the same for her, and speaking words of faith to herself again and again as she approached Jesus. And we can do the same. As we seek healing and forgiveness, provision for ourselves, if we say those words the truth of God over our lives, it will build our faith and help us begin to receive the grace of God into our lives. Another champion that, uh, of faith that Jesus encountered during his ministry um, was a Greek woman, not even a Jewish woman, but a Greek woman in the city uh, region of Tyre and Sidon. And this is from Matthew 15, uh, 21 through 28. So Jesus, leaving uh, Galilee, withdrew to a region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, a Greek woman, from that vicinity came to him crying out, 
Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered her, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. Sounds pretty harsh. You are right, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now this is another story of a, of a person who isn't even Jewish having great faith in the healing power of God and that is revealed, that is, is expressed through Jesus. Now, it's interesting here because Jesus is in Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon is a region north of Israel uh, that is not a part of the Jewish, the Israel country of Israel. Um, so he, he's saying, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And so the next question would be, then why aren't you in Israel? Why are you in Tyre and Sidon, which is a region of non-Jews? Well, there's a, a, a Mark's version of this passage in Mark 7. If you read that, uh, Jesus needed a break. And so he had left Israel because he wanted some time alone. He had gone to a house uh, in secret and tried to hide out for a while because he needed a break. His disciples needed a break. But word of him spread while he was in there that the healer from Israel is among us. And when the woman heard that, she couldn't stop herself. And so she came crying out, Lord, this Gentile, this non-Jew. She says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And yet Jesus doesn't respond to him, to her. You know, the, and she becomes so annoying, so persistent that the, the disciples are like, Jesus, just tell her to go away. But she continues to persevere despite the obstacles that are in front of her. And so I think there are a couple lessons we can learn from her. Though she was not Jewish, she recognized someone with power and authority. And she called out, Lord, son of David. You know, when we see people we know have a power and authority, we can recognize that. And we, we, we can go to them. Maybe it's they, they have wisdom about finances. Maybe they have wisdom about having a happy marriage. Maybe they have wisdom about raising kids. If we see people have authority and power and wisdom, um, we can recognize that. We can see it, and, and we can pursue those people that we can get a share of what they have. She didn't stop pursuing Jesus, even though she was ignored. Uh, the disciples said, send her away. And then Jesus comes along and says, the food I have isn't meant for dogs. Instead of getting offended by what Jesus said to her, she agrees with Jesus. She says, you're right. I'm not 
Jewish. But uh, she uses Jesus' own words then to make her case for her daughter, for her healing. And she says, you're right. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And so she, she takes Jesus' words and turns them back on Jesus to argue that she, that, that she can still receive mercy even though she's not an Israelite. And I think we can do this as well. We need to take Jesus' words and, and promises to build our faith. We need to find what God is saying and then find out how do, do the things that we are seeking the Lord for align with those words and those teachings. This lady built her faith on humility, recognizing Jesus' power and authority and using Jesus' own words to make her case. Here's some examples that we can do as well. You know, Jesus says in John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. Uh, Matthew 7, 7 reads, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So we can build our faith using Jesus' words by saying, Lord, you said ask, so I'm asking. You said seek, so I am seeking. Lord, you said knock, so I am knocking. And we're doing the same thing that the, the Greek woman did. She took Jesus' words and, and used them back to get what she wanted. Matthew 7, 9 through 11 reads, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask him? So we can take this and build our faith as well by saying, God, you are a good gift giver. I know, I know how to give good gifts to my kids, but you can do much better than I do. I know you are generous and love to show grace and mercy. So Father, I ask, you to, I ask and believe that in your goodness and kindness, you will answer my prayers. And so we use God's words to build our faith, to, to lay as the foundation of our request back to him. Matthew 6, 25 and 26 reads, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So we can build our faith as we ask God by saying, God, I see you take care of the birds and all the animals. You provide for them and take care of them. They have food to eat and water to drink and places to live. And I know that you will provide for me, Lord, too. You will provide food and, and water and clothes. I, love, I know you love me more than these animals and you will take care of my needs as well. Thank you, God, that you take care of those you love. And so we begin to use God's words to pray back to him. I mean, that's the way children learn, right? I mean, as you look at kids, as they grow, they don't know English. They don't know whatever language they're born into. They learn it by repeating back the words that the parents say to them. 
They repeat the words that they hear. And so if we learn the Father's language, we learn it by repeating his words back to him. And then it becomes our words as well. Another person that amazed Jesus by his faith faith, was a Roman centurion. In Matthew 8, 5 through 13, we read about him. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I I do not deserve you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. So the approach that this centurion took was different than the woman with the issue of blood who kept repeating to herself, I know the Lord will heal me. I know the Lord will heal me. It's different than the woman, uh, the Greek woman, who used Jesus' words back to him. This gentleman was a man of authority and a man of power. And he gave commands as just part of his daily routine. He told people what to do, and they went and did it. And based out of his life experience, he was able to transfer that faith that when he gives a command, things are done, that Jesus could also give a command and things would be done. And so his faith was based on his own experience of how to use power and authority. Uh, he, he, again, wasn't Jewish. This was not one of the children of Israel that, that Jesus came uh, to save. But he recognized someone who had power and authority. He approached Jesus with humility rather than with the upper hand. I mean, this is an, an, uh, an occupying force in Israel. A centurion was a Roman soldier who at that time was occupying Israel. They were under control. They were forcing taxes out of Israel. Um, He was the man who had the upper hand. Jesus was just in Israel. He could have come along and say, I demand this of you. But he came with humility, recognizing uh, Jesus' own sense of power and authority. Um, He he even showed respect to Jesus uh, by saying, um, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. It was, uh, it was forbidden for Jews to enter the homes of Gentiles. And so the Roman centurion knew that this was against the custom of Jews. So he wasn't going to try to push Jesus to do something that would violate his customs and practices. So he was showing a lot of honor and respect to Jesus in this encounter. And so he asked for help rather than demanding it. 
And I think the third thing we learned from here is that his life experiences had taught him the truth that people who have power and authority um, just need to give the word. They just need to speak it out and it begins to happen. And so he was able to transfer that, that, that experience to his faith in Jesus healing his servant. As we look at the teachings of Jesus, we see that he did this as well um, in teaching the truth about God. That Jesus used common experiences to help people build their faith in the kingdom of God. In Mark 4, uh, we read, this is, Jesus said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by itself the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. So Jesus is teaching about the truth of the kingdom of God, but he's using a very common experience that people in that day and age probably encountered every year as they planted crops. But often, we as well have the experience of seeing trees grow, of seeing a seed planted um, and turning into something that produces, as we get into the gardening season, uh, we plant our gardens here coming up. You know, we might water the plants, the seeds that we put in the ground, but we don't know how it grows. We don't know, we, we aren't the one that makes it happen. The seeds have been programmed with the ability to grow and produce fruit all on their own. And so Jesus uses this common experience to reveal the truth that God's work in us isn't something we have to uh, manufacture. It isn't something that's our responsibility. We just have to let that seed of his kingdom grow within us. And so that common experience that we have builds our faith that even I, though I don't know how to save myself, God does. And we can trust him that it'll work. Jesus then uses another common experience that people had to build their faith. Luke 11, verses 5 through 9 reads, And then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to give him. And the, one, the friend inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. Leave me alone. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So Jesus uses this experience of a neighbor who has a real need and comes knocking on your door. I'm sure we've all had neighbors that were kind of pesky. Hey, can I borrow this tool? Or can you drive me to the store? Or can you feed my dog while I'm out of town next week? Right? And we're like, man, that's just inconvenient. I don't want to do that. But the neighbor continues to, to be bothersome and annoying. And just in order to send them away, say, okay, I'll do it. Just leave me alone. Right? 
And so Jesus uses this experience as a way to teach about the kingdom of God. If we are kind enough to help a pesky neighbor, isn't God even more kind to his children so that when we ask, we will receive? When we knock, it'll be opened? When we seek, that we will find? This is faith. This is what faith is. And so we can take that common experience that we have and use it to open our hearts to the grace and the goodness of God. Here's another one, Luke 18, 1 through 8. And then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. We probably know some judges like that, huh? And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. (laughs) We know that that happens too. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And so in this passage, Jesus uses this common experience that when you've had something taken away from you, this widow who needed justice, maybe something was stolen, stolen from her or you know, somebody has, has uh, taken her property. I don't know. But she has a case and the law is on her side, but she needs to get a judge to enforce it. And so she goes to the judge But the judge isn't ready to listen. But she keeps coming back the next day. She keeps coming because she knows the law is on her side. And eventually, she wears the judge down because she knows she's right. And the judge knows she's right. Um, But it's not because she's right that she gets it. because she perseveres in what she's doing. And so Jesus uses this common experience to say, if in our human relationships you can wear down an unjust judge and finally get what's due you, even more so with a father who loves you, when you come to talk with him and ask him what's a legitimate need in your life, you can go with faith that he hears you, that he loves you, and he's going to provide for you. And I think it's important that we use these common experiences that we have. So the, so the centurion said, I'm a man who gives orders. I have power and authority. I give an order and it happens. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, I don't need you to come to my house. I just need you to say, my servant is healed and it'll happen. We need to take these experiences in our lives that reveal God's truth Meditate on them and let them build our faith. A fourth champion 
that Jesus encountered during his ministry was a sinful woman that Jesus met at a dinner party. In Luke chapter 7, we read about this, verse 36. So one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have, a, uh, have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Then let's jump down to verse 44. And then he turned, Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? I came in your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus turned to the woman and said, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? But Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So, you know, part of the custom of this day, um, when you're a guest in somebody's house, you know, they, they wore sandals um, and um, walked on dusty roads, and so the feet would get dirty. Um, I know in our house we have a mudroom. Living on a farm, when we're walking through chicken poop, you know, during the day and you know, other things that are out, you know, cows and pastures and stuff like that. You come into the mudroom and you take your boots off in the mudroom or if you're out mowing, that's even the place you get undressed so that you don't track dirt all the way through the house. In their day, when you invited somebody into uh, to the house as a guest, you would provide water for them to wash their feet. That was just a courtesy. Um, you would greet them at this time with a kiss. A friend would be, you know, hey, we don't do that much these days. Um, I remember in college, I, I had a couple friends, and they greeted me with a kiss, and it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> but that was part, I mean, it's not part of our culture, right? But in some cultures, that's the way it works. And, and so um, when Jesus comes into this Pharisee's house, he doesn't give him a kiss. He doesn't greet him with the courtesy of the day. And then the third tradition or custom is, is often, here again, things get dusty, is that they would give oil for anointing the hair and for, um, you know, for, for someone who is a guest in your house. And this Pharisee didn't do this as well. So three times the, the, the Pharisee could have shown respect to Jesus, but he didn't. And yet, this woman who is sinful, now, the, the, the way the story is told here is that she wasn't just a woman who had sinned. She was a woman who lived a sinful life. I mean, this wasn't, oh, I, I messed up. This was, 
she, her whole lifestyle was sinful. Whether she was a prostitute or just like the woman at the well had married, you know, six or seven husbands, or we don't know exactly what's going on, but, but her whole lifestyle was sinful. She was known in the town as the sinful woman. Um, and, and yet, she shows courtesy and respect to Jesus. This alabaster jar of perfume was worth a year's wages. And I'm sure that as she had worked and saved money, this was a way to store up, you know, uh, as we look at the price of inflation, right, and we start to see what I could buy with a dollar now cost two dollars, or what I could buy, spend two fifty a gallon on gas, now I'm paying three seventy for a gallon of gas, that we see the, the value of our money shrinking. Part of in that day and time, having an alabaster jar of perfume was a way of having uh, a large sum of money so that it, when prices increase, the value of that alabaster jar of perfume would increase as well. This was, in some ways, her life treasure that she had earned and, and put up. And yet she brings that to anoint Jesus' feet. That she washes his feet with her tears. She wipes them with her hair. She anoints them with what is her life savings, probably. Because she has heard about Jesus' teachings um, and has found hope for herself that she didn't think she could have anymore. You know, the things that Jesus taught at the time that were, were just remarkable and that, that were reasons why people like this woman wanted to seek him out, um, that Jesus was a friend to sinners. We, you can read it in, in several chapters, Matthew 9, Mark 2, Luke 5, that Jesus was a friend to sinners and tax collectors. Um, and this was one reason why the Pharisees didn't like him, is because he was a friend to them. And, and why would he be a friend to these people who rightly deserve the judgment of God? But Jesus didn't come to give judgment. He came to give forgiveness. And so she had heard stories that there's this man of God who is a friend to sinners. Uh, that Jesus talked about the forgiveness of sins and, 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 and the opportunity to be born again. Um, and so this woman who had lived a sinful life knew that the life that she had created for herself wasn't worth having. It was a terrible life, and she needed a do-over. She needed to start again. And she saw in Jesus someone who could give this opportunity to her. And so she was grateful and thankful for that opportunity. And as she began to, to express that gratitude to Jesus, she, her faith began to grow. You know, when we say thank you to somebody, that expression of gratitude indicates several things. You know, if somebody's, you've come to somebody's house and they say, would you like to have a glass of water? And you say, thanks, that would be great. Now, you haven't received the water yet, but you're saying thank you for it already, right? Because in saying thank you, it acknowledges several things that are implied by that expression of gratitude. One, it honors the person, right, that is giving you the glass of water. It acknowledges that they have the power to do what they say they will do. It's an acknowledgement that they are giving us something that is valuable to us. 
And it is also an acknowledgement um, that we are ready to receive what they are giving us. And so saying thank you is, has a much bigger implication to, to what is going on. You know, in contrast to the sinful woman, Simon the Pharisee, Jesus' host, did not demonstrate any gratitude. He did not honor Jesus. In fact, he might have thought he was doing Jesus a favor by having him over to his house because Jesus will finally be seen with some upstanding people rather than the sinners and tax collectors. So from the sinful woman, woman, we can learn several things about how she built her faith. She built her faith by responding to Jesus with gratitude and thankfulness. Though she was sinful, she had heard that Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them, and that anyone who was willing to repent and believe would be saved. Her gratitude for the chance at a new life drove her to seek out Jesus and let him know how grateful she was. She brought this alabaster jar of perfume, a treasure to express her gratitude. What was once a great treasure in her life was now of lesser value compared to what she had found in Jesus. And so as her thankfulness grew, so did her faith. Her tears, her kisses, her wiping Jesus' feet with her hair all expressed how grateful she was to Jesus for the love he showed and for the truth he told about God's love for her. So when we take time to show our gratitude to God, we build our faith as well. Romans 1.21 reads, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Giving thanks is more than knowing God. It is an act of someone who is trusting God and honoring God. Those who know God but don't give him thanks grow futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts. So gratitude is, is a key part of how we express our faith and build our faith. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it reads, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and, and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving is a part of our prayers and petition to God. When we are thankful in our request to God, we receive God's peace that guards us, that lets us know that what we have asked for, we have received, and it's coming. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 18 reads, Rejoice always, pray continuously, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So how can we rejoice always? By realizing that God is good all the time. How can we give thanks in all circumstances? By believing that God has promised and is able to turn every situation around for our good. So thanks, giving gratitude, expressing our gratitude to God becomes an important way that we receive his grace into our lives. 
So I think it's important that we study these people who were champions of faith. I mean, you know, there's something interesting about all four of these is that none of them were part of the in crowd. I mean, we're talking about a woman who was outcast because of her medical condition. We're talking about a Greek woman who wasn't even part of the Jewish uh, uh, um, culture. We're talking about a Roman centurion who was an occupier. We're talking about a sinful woman who uh, had failed in her life. But yet these were the very people that showed faith in Jesus beyond most of the others that, that, that he encountered that were the upstanding people in the community. So I'd like you to take these lessons away with you today. One from the, the lady with the issue of blood, learn to use your words to speak God's truth in your life. Keep saying it over and over until it sinks in. We are transformed by the renewal of our mind on God's word. Second, from the, the lady, uh, the Greek lady, use Jesus' words and parables to build your faith that what he offers is for you. Make the case for your prayers based on what Jesus teaches us about God. From the centurion, um, learn to use your life experiences to, to ask, to, to, to leverage uh, your faith in how the kingdom of God works. Ask God to show you how the experiences that you've had in life reveal his truth and his kingdom uh, so that you can have greater faith and what he wants to do in your life. And then finally, uh, with the sinful woman, learn to show gratitude to God for his kindness and forgiveness and mercy. The more thankfulness we show to God, the greater our faith will be. So these are four things we can do to build our faith so that when we are confronted with trouble and persecution and uh, trials in life, that we can overcome and walk through them with peace. So let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you uh, for your mercy and kindness. We thank you that, that your word produces life in us. We don't know how it happens, but we know it does. That you've given us these ways to build our faith, to grow our faith, so that, that we're not left vulnerable to the struggles and trials and deceptions of the world and of the devil. But Lord, that you strengthen us day by day through your word and through your spirit, Lord. And so we thank you and just ask you that as we go from this place, bless us that we might be a vessel of your goodness to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go in the grace and peace of God.